Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August 25th, 2015. This is episode 1631 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Tuesday. We are back into our regular schedule. Uh, again, and we'll see if we can stick to it this time. I, I know there's been some disruption. There's been a lack of the call-in shows that are just me. I apologize. I've had a really rocky August, and it's it's smoother, but it's not smooth. I mean, um, you know, we talked about the turkeys, and I, I don't have time to process three turkeys right now, so I had to run them down to a place in Weatherford. So I found a place in Weatherford, by the way. If you guys that are local to me in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, If you're not that far from Weatherford, I'm 30 minutes exactly. I found a place that will process your poultry if you don't want to do it yourself. And when I went down there, I talked to the guy that runs the place today and said, do you guys do ducks? He said, we do anything. Because I don't want to do them because they're hard, but we'll take anything. And they charge appropriately based on what they're doing. Um, some guy walked in that apparently was some friend of the family or something that he hadn't seen in a long time, and I decided to... Not interrupt, but I'm going to talk to you more when I pick my birds up and uh, get a price list on everything. But they're, they're out in Weatherford. I, I can't, off the top of my head, remember the name of it. Um, but they're off the uh, 409 exit off of 20. You go north, and it's Cedar something road. Uh, after That's the road right after it. So if you find something like that, that's it. Um, something meets, Weatherford something meets or something like that. Anyway, just a total aside, but... Um, Unlike the place they found in Mansfield, they speak English and you can understand them and have a conversation on the phone with them and set up appointments, etc. So uh, if anybody's interested in knowing where you can get your animals processed, send me an email, tspcbirds, and the subject line, and I'll send you the information on this place. I know it's not something for everybody. but So I, you know, I had to do that, and just all kinds of things, just sucking uh, time and changing scheduling. But uh, it's about noon now. I'm finally getting on with today's show, and I decided that... You know, the, the interesting thing is, with all this disturbance, um, I may have had to make some adjustments, but I was able to make adjustments. Why? This is my business. I work for me. And when I say, hey, can I take a couple hours to go deliver the turkey so that you don't have to worry about that anymore and get on with your life, I tell myself yes, because I want myself to be happy. And... Even when I have a bad day, I don't write myself up for doing a bad job. I don't threaten to fire me. I, I keep myself around because I like me. And it is that freedom of business ownership that allows that. And it's enabled me to do so much good for others as well. I, I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but I've been able to do more to help people since the Survival Podcast started than the entire rest of my life combined. And I've always felt that I'm a philanthropic person. I do my best to donate money to good causes, to help people when they're down, to do so sometimes just like, hey, man, here, let me help you out with that, and just walk away and never even think about it ever again. I've never had the complete and total freedom that I do now to be able to help so many people. So it's better for me. It's better for others. It's a good idea to own a business of your own, and I've never felt so free in my life. I've never had as much liberty in my life as I do right now, and I am more acutely aware of the tyranny we all live under than I ever was before. So most people think they're free and they're not, okay? 
I now know that we're not free, and yet I can tell you that I still now have more liberty than, than, than I ever had before. Because I now have a way to adapt to and overcome many of the things that are used to control people. And so I want that for you, too. And that's why we're going to talk about business ownership today in a bit of a different way. I'm going to give you some ideas for businesses. I'm going to talk about it. We're not going to get into legal corporate structures and things like that. But I am going to tell you some things about business ownership today that may change your mind, even if you're the person that says, I don't want a business. Because you may not know what you're saying no to. I mean, that's really, I want you to think about it that way. I mean, look at it this way. People, most people that say they don't want to be in business for themselves looked at other people in business and said, I don't want that, or I don't want to have to do as much as they do, or I don't have to work as hard as they do, or I don't want to have the stress, or I don't want to have the risk, or whatever. What if you did that with dating? <laughs> what if you, you just went out to a random place and looked at like 10 different couples that were hanging out together, that were obviously together, And, uh, and, and none of them looked like the kind of relationship you were looking for. So you said, that's it, I'm going to become a monk or a nun or whatever. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to turn down freedom before you know what freedom looks like. So I'm going to try to show you what the freedom of business ownership looks like today and also be completely honest with you about the work that it really does take. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today, Fortress Defense Consult and the awesome Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors at FortressDefense.com will help you to complete that final linchpin in the gun operator triangle of efficiency. You know, people often ask me, what is the next gun I should buy? And what I say is, maybe you should invest in some training. If you already have a good shotgun, a rifle, a handgun, and maybe a few other things for hunting and sporting purposes, instead of just buying another gun because it's cool or it was on the cover of a magazine, maybe you should invest in that final linchpin, the final moving part in that triangle of efficiency. You know, first you have the gun. You buy a gun off the shelf. It is what it is. It does what it does. You can rely on it to be what it is. Ammo is the same way. Good quality ammunition. You can never have too much of it, but you can buy it off the shelf. Those two things are commodities. There's one thing that really requires ongoing investment. That's you, the operator. You're the final moving part. A gun and ammo in the hands of somebody who doesn't know what to do can be more dangerous to the people that are trying to defend themselves than it can be a help to the situation. And it's also the case that even if you know how to handle a weapon professionally, you know what you're doing mechanically, There's a mental component when lives are on the line that cannot be condensed down into words. It has to be trained. It has to be drilled into you. You have to realize that if you get into one of these situations, what you'll end up doing is falling back to your lowest, not highest level of proficiency. That's where training kicks in and takes over. The kind of training you'll get from Frank and his cadre at FortressDefense.com. Check them out today. Learn how you can become an efficient operator of that weapon that you're carrying for the defense of yourself and others. Sponsor of the day number two today, Ready-Made Resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does right on their website. All the resources you need ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. And when I say all the resources, I mean it from the tactical to the practical, from guns to gardens, And everything in between, you'll find it at ready-made resources. 12-volt appliances to go with your solar and wind projects? Check, they've got that. You want to do solar and wind? Hey, they've got everything you need for that. You want long-term storage food? You want it by the can or by the case? They've got it. You want to make your own long-term storage food? You need uh, Mylar bags and O2 absorbers? They've got that. You want gamma lids for your 5-gallon buckets? 
got it, check, no problem. You want to start canning, whether it's water bath or pressure canning, they've got what you need. Dehydrators, got that too. Want to get over and look at some tactical accessories or firearms if you're in their state or have an FFL to ship to? They've got it all, man. Like I said, the practical to the tactical, the guns to gardens, and everything in between. You'll find it all at the company that does what they say and says what they do. ReadyMadeResources.com, a long-term sponsor of the Survival Podcast, Happy to serve you with great pricing and great service. Again, ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up, let's uh, take a look at the Bob Wells plant of the week. Uh, this week, Bob Wells has for us a plant. Really, it's the tree of the week, usually, and this is no exception. The red skin peach tree. This is a peach that is adaptable from zones 5 through 9. This is an offshoot of the old-time Alberta peach. Excellent quality, all-purpose, yellow and freestone. It's frost-hardy and very sweet. It does not require a pollinator. Ripens in mid-July. This is Bob Wells' personal favorite when it comes to peaches. Bob Wells specializes in edible landscaping, including fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees, as well as hard-to-find specialty fruit trees. Find this plant and more at BobWellsNursery.com. The big difference between this and Alberta, this is a little bit later of a peach. Alberta is pretty early, and this is like a mid-season peach ripening in July. It's a great time frame for peaches. What do I mean by that? The problem with going too early is your peaches put blossoms on, a late frost comes in, all your blossoms fall off the tree, and then you're sad because you have no peaches. Let me tell you, those of you that don't know iPhones, a little series story at the end of this that you'll thank me for later. Um, <laughs> and then if you have late peaches, a lot of the pests, especially in the south, that really get in and cause damage to peaches, really hit a peak about July, mid-July, in August. So if you have late peaches that are ripening from the end of July and August, they have a lot of pest pressure. If you get those mid-season peaches, especially, again, in the south, a lot of times they kind of beat the pest pressure. And yet they have enough of a late time in the year that they beat the early frost even further into their northern regions. So it's one of my, of all the different peaches we have here, it's those those late early to mid early range if there's such a thing that do the best for us with pest pressure now what it made me think of is there's a little thing you can ask siri those of you who own iphones and uh you know what i don't know how well it'll come out but i'm just going to do it right here for you uh with my iphone and let you hear it you know I, i try to put some things in for humor and pop culture every once in a while and uh this is just one of those that has nothing to do with prepping or survival But I'm going to ask Siri a question and listen to her answer. Siri, what is zero divided by zero? Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies. And you are sad that you have no friends. <laughs> Somebody at Apple had some extra time on their hands and decided to put a little bit of humor into Siri. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year 1631, I have the Ashley Madison of the 17th century. I have the veneer scale and the lie of precise measurement. And I have the Puritans and Providence, Nicaragua. I'm going to read to you the Ashley Madison of the 17th century. What is that? It's not really, but Alex does these good jobs of linking things together from the modern day to the past. Typesetting errors have crept into the printing of the Bible over the years, but this one is a doozy. The royal printers of London have omitted the word not 
from one of the Ten Commandments so that it now reads, Thou shalt commit adultery. The Wicked Bible or Adulterer's Bible is released to the public before the error is discovered. No doubt men were soon explaining to their wives that they were just following the Word of God. Most of the Bibles are collected up and burned. By next year, the printers will lose their royal license and pay a fine of 300 pounds. That'd be $65,000 in a day's money. Very few of these Bibles will survive into the modern day, but the memory of the error will live on because it's too funny for words. My take by Alex Shrug. In case you haven't heard, the Ashley Matter Madison Adulterers Database has been made public. The Ashley Madison website is an online dating service where cheaters meet to cheat for a fee. The company guarantees security and anonymity. If you want your if you want your account expunged, they will do that for a fee. Unfortunately, their claims of security were total BS. I get that. I guess that means they lied. Imagine that. A hacker has released the client email list. Many of them are linked to the White House or that knucklehead on TV. A lawyer on Fox and Friends explained that having an email address show up in the dating ba database was meaningless because they never verified the address. Thus, my buddy could sign me up as a joke, or a business competitor could try to embarrass me, or my political enemy could. You get the picture. The lawyer said it was a time for people to have some serious discussion with their spouse, so I went downstairs and explained to my wife what Ashley Madison's site was all about. We looked into each other's eyes and burst out laughing. What a bunch of morons. Uh, my take by Jack Spear, I have a bunch of takes here. Um, first of all, I think it's interesting that the, the people were fined $65,000 for missing a word uh, and then lost their license to print the Bible. This is what happens when governments issue licenses to do things like print Bibles in the first place. Um, but I bet you, I just bet you, if you have one of those original Bibles since all the other ones are burned with the wrong commandment in it, it might be worth at least $65,000. I'm not sure, but I bet you it's worth more than 300 British pounds today. Uh, next up, I think that what Ashley Madison actually proves is that men are stupid. Um, in the beginning, I had very little interest in this until I heard the number 35 million. 35 million people registered to Ashley Madison. Now, that number is probably inflated, and not because of what Alex is talking about, me wanting to play a joke on my buddy so I sign up my friend, because since it's anonymous, unless a hacker gets in, it really wouldn't do that. Um, but uh, there is something called sock puppetry. So if you were not completely stupid, you might have more than one account in Ashley Madison if you were doing this thing. And uh, you might not use your real email address unless you're a bozo that works for NASA or the White House or the State Department using your email there, apparently. When I hear $35 million, I don't care what it is. I mean, as, a, as an entrepreneur and online business person, uh, okay, a little bit interesting. My first question was, how many of those people were paying members? Because all everybody else is kind of a looky-loo. Just what is this thing all about? And they can't actually do anything unless they pay it. What it tells me is that men are stupid. Because out of those 35 million uh, accounts, only I think about 4 million of them are actually paid accounts. Which means all the rest of it's fluff. It's people that either did want to, like, what is this really all about? Or sock puppetry or auto registrations or whatever, uh, or people that just decided it wasn't really worth the money, but over 4 million people, 4 or 5 million is what I saw on an article I read on Facebook, pulled out the credit card and made a payment instead of an account. 
And, and then how many of you do you think were women? Just, just guess. Less than 10%, 10%. Actually, significantly less than 10%. So it's, it's what they say on, you know, uh, teenage raunchy comedies and stuff like that. It was a sausage fest, right? A whole bunch of guys being sold the belief that there would be women out there that would pay money just for the chance to meet a guy that would want to have an affair with them. Yeah, see, I don't know if you've paid attention, but there's there's no guys' night at the bar, like where you get in free if you're a guy, right? You know, like Wednesday nights, guys' night, all guys get in free and get half-priced well drinks for the first two hours. They don't do that, right? They do ladies' night. Why? Because women bring the men. So what Ashley Madison proved, actually, and this is germane to today's show, that a business doesn't have to actually work to be profitable, um, if it plays to the stupidity in people. Now, that's not how I want you to build a business, but indeed it is the case that it appears that Ashley Madison was a giant scam that you had to be stupid to be scammed by in the first place. And that's my take by Jack Spierko. All right, so next up, before we get into uh, building a business for yourself, let's talk about one of the reasons to do that is because, you know, investing isn't what it's all cracked up to be at times. And, uh, you know, making a return on your investment in the stock market has risk. And I don't know if you've paid attention, but for the past, oh, eight years, it's been almost impossible to make any reasonable return on your money just from it sitting in something like a CD. I'm talking, you know, taking four, four or five points, you know, the type of, of interest from the bank that was consistently average across you know, 50 years. It's just not happening because the Fed pushed the interest rates to zero and has forced a lot of money into investments that otherwise would have been parked in relatively secure, uh, small interest yielding investments. So specifically, what this did is it, it kept a lot of old people in the market longer than you, than you should be. Um, I look at it this way. If a person retires at, let's say, 65 or 67 and starts drawing their Social Security, and um, you know they're planning on living another 20, 25 years, and they've saved up you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a million bucks, um, if, if they can get 4% interest on that, they could pay themselves 40 grand a year for the rest of their lives and never spend a dime. So if they can get 4% interest on that, they can pay themselves 80 grand a year, and hopefully by that point, if they're smart and good savers, they have no debt, they've paid everything off, 80 grand with no house payments, not bad, okay? And uh, so at that point, you'd be able to take way longer than necessary uh, for you to die of natural causes unless some kind of major life-forwarding uh, technology comes into play. And, and that means that at 65-ish, almost none or none of your money should be at risk if we had normal times. But we don't have normal times, so people have had to stay in to, to look for more returns to make their money not uh, to make sure their money doesn't die before they do. Okay, they, want, they don't want to outlive their money. And that's put a lot of things at risk. So this latest stock market hullabaloo has had a lot more people freaked out than it may have otherwise had, and it's a big part of the game. Yesterday I came on and said that, you know, several weeks ago we told you guys basically you had no business with your money in the stock market right now because there's no upside to the market for the rest of the year. We weren't saying it was going to crash, and we didn't know if or when or how, but we did say there could be a significant downturn in the market, that that could happen. And we said that the, the point wasn't whether or not it's going to crash. The point was, since you ain't going to make no money this year, why take the risk? 
Then yesterday came on while the market was in tatters and said, look, I, I think that if you didn't get out, give it a little bit, and I think you'll be able to get back, you know, you'll be able to get out with some of it recovered. Uh, today is being called uh, Comeback Tuesday or something like that, or, or Turn Back Tuesday or something like that, something they made up. And I think today, so far, the market's back up like uh, 200-plus points, right? So uh, that's the Dow. Uh, the S&P's back like 24. NASDAQ's back like 95. Around 1.5% to 2% between the indexes rebounded already of, of the loss that came yesterday and Friday. So this is Tuesday if you're listening to the show in the future. So Friday and Monday were, were major loss, losing days on, on the stock markets. Well, The thing is, Friday, the bigger stocks didn't tank. The, the big stocks tanked really heavily on Monday. Um, and what I said yesterday was that it was my feeling that this was orchestrated. The, 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 the institutional money dumped their money to take their profits so they could buy back and, and get stocks on the cheap while we all paid for it. They skimmed from the money from our hands. And... You know, I said yesterday, I, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to get some of this back before you bail out for this year or not. You got to make your own choices. I don't tell people what to do with their money. I just tell people what I think is, is going to happen. But so this rebound is, is now here. It, it probably won't rebound 100%, but it'll rebound some. But something very interesting happened that proves that what I said yesterday was true. Um, there's a list of stocks, but two off the top of my head are Verizon and Procter and Gamble. On a hunch, I went into Google Finance and thought, what are some of the premium stocks? The stocks that everybody wants to own long term. The stocks that have consistently demonstrated an ability to ride through recessions. And if this is orchestrated and I knew it was coming and I could do high frequency trading, what would I do? So Verizon and Procter Gamble just struck to my heads. And you can start checking some other really high-end stocks, and you'll find a very similar pattern. In fact, they all look identical. The market opened yesterday at 9 a.m., and the entire thing took a bloodbath. It was on the news. I told you there was a special report. You know, the market's tumbling close to 300 points, and the opening bell is still ringing, that kind of thing going on. And so the market falls, and then it flounders around, and it kind of comes back up, and it falls even harder. It flounders around, and it kind of comes up, falls even harder, flounders around, and ends down. And then today, turnaround Tuesday is here, and there's the highest rally of the year so far. I told you not to look at your 401k. Yeah, because you might have figured out the pattern. While the entire index did this, 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 this flop and flounder and flop and flounder and flop and flounder, that's not what these really high-end stocks did. If you were to go to Google Finance and, and, and put in the symbol VZ for Verizon, you, you find their stock. If you click on one day and you're still on Tuesday the, the 25th, you will see today uh, a falling. It looks like a disaster falling from well, a whopping like 45 bucks down to like 44.50, right? But since it's a short axis, it looks like a catastrophic thing. But there'll be a little handle where your cursor is. And if you grab that and you pull it back so you can look at one day and pull all the way back to the opening bell, to when the stock market opened on Monday morning. So if you look at a one-day view, Monday you will see 
Verizon on the opening bell dropping like a rock so fast the line breaks from $46 going down to just below $38. This all happens within about five minutes. And you will see the line shoot back up just as fast, meaning the entire time between the beginning of the fall and the recovery is less than 10 minutes time. In fact, looking at it in the graph, I would estimate it was two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes of down and up. So really a minute and a quarter down and a minute and a quarter up. Let's be generous and say it's two and a half each way. Two and a half down, two and a half up. If, if I go to the little search box and put in the symbol of PG, Procter and Gamble, another one of these companies that rides through recessions just fine as a stock you'd want to hold, and I switch to the one-day view, and I slide back. It seems like Google doesn't even want me to do this. Uh, they, they took a little longer to do the basic same thing. The pattern looks identical. They took about five minutes for the whole thing to happen, dropping from $72 down to about $64. $5 and rebounding up to $71 in a time span of less than five minutes. Are, are, do, do, are you starting to notice something very similar about these stocks? They did the same thing, and they did not follow the market indexes of which they're part of. Now, if you look at a, a lot of big-name stocks here, you'll see quite a few that kind of floundered and came up a little quicker than the rest of the market, and a lot that came up with the market. But if you if you keep looking, you'll find these really cherry stocks. Stocks, like I said, that if uh, if you 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 had a will read and your your great uncle left you a bunch of stocks, if you heard these were the companies, you'd be pretty pleased with the fact that you own stock of these companies, no matter what the market was doing at the time. Let, let's talk about the speed that this occurred with and, and what it actually means. Had you known this was going to happen? Had you been 100% sure that Verizon was going to rebound the way that it did, if you were sitting logged into your E-Trade account, it would have been virtually impossible for you to see the price, put in a buy order, and capitalize on the game. That's how fast it was, even if you knew. But a lot of people knew, and a lot of people did. This shows me the institutional money specifically exited the market on the heels of the news from China, to precipitate a panic, to drive people out, to scare out the suckers, to cherry-pick the very best of what to buy, to make it worth their time through the end of the year because they knew what we already told you. There's no money in the market this year if you just buy and hold. And they skimmed all that money from poor people and the working class and the working class affluent from their 401ks. What's going to happen for the rest of the week? I don't know, but I'll bet you, I'll just bet you, the most likely scenario is a small rebound continues. The market ends the week still down, but nowhere near the catastrophic, oh my God, horrific callings of Monday morning. When as far as I'm concerned, the power elite probably told their puppets and media to turn it up for a little while my thoughts. Anyway, let's get into business ownership because that's one of the reasons that I wasn't sitting around freaking out yesterday when I saw this going on. It, many reasons, like being positioned in many of the times of stocks that we're talking about and having a lot of my money in cash and silver and other assets anyway. But, you know, one of the real reasons is, hey, I'm not going to get laid off. 
And even if I lost half my audience, I wouldn't be happy about it, but or half my paying customers, I wouldn't be happy about it. I can still pay all the bills. So it, it, it kind of puts you at ease when you have your own business. And what I want us to kind of lead off with today is what's the alternative? For people to say they don't want to own a business of their own, they don't want their own business, there, there's, there's really five major alternatives, and just about anything you come up with will fit in one of them. First one is the least preferable, that's poverty. If you're not going to own your own business, want, and don't get like, oh, you said you either own a business or you're poor. That's all I'm saying. But, but really, one of your choices, I don't want to own a business, so therefore I'm going to be poor. I'll get by on assistance or charity or doing odd jobs uh, and barely skating by and, and living in a, you know, a single white trailer uh, in, in a trailer park or something like that. Not to put that down if you have to live there for a time, but that's really not where people generally want to live. I, you know, there's some really nice ones, actually, to be fair. I know one place in, in Arlington that has a really beautiful trailer park. The only thing that scares the hell out of me for those people are tornadoes. It's gorgeous, and most of them are single wides, and they're people living within their means, and it's very well maintained and cared for. So I'm not putting that down, but I'm just saying, you know the kind of trailer park I'm talking about. Right, so poverty or government housing projects or whatever is one option. The next option is the dead-end job. This is the job that pays you enough to basically have a life, but it's not really going anywhere. It's never going to get you anywhere. You're always going to feel like you want more and deserve more. And if that's the kind of job you have, it's almost inevitable that you will end up in a significant amount of debt without enough savings to pay for your retirement. That's, that's another alternative. Another alternative is what I call the stressful career path. This is the path I was on. This is where you end, you earn good money. You really do. But your job never ends. At five o'clock when all your buddies are popping a top and, and firing up the barbecue grill with some friends and not worried, you're still at the office. At 8.30 when you're finally putting your kids to bed and you've seen them for 15 minutes, the phone rings or the email goes off or the text goes off and there's something you have to deal with. Uh, when everybody's off for a vacation, you have to stay and work late. Uh, you, you have to travel. There's a million different things that eat into your life with a stressful career. But what the stressful career path means is you have greater responsibilities, greater income, but therefore your, your employer owns you a lot more. And when you leave at 5 o'clock, it's not over. It's not closed down, turn the phone off, and go on about your business. And almost all of the jobs that lead to enough of advancement to get into the affluent class uh, that are anything other than the next one we'll talk about uh, have that kind of a, a scenario with them. Yeah, you can make a lot of money in, in recruiting, but you're going to work your brains out. You can work a lot, make a lot of money in real estate, honestly, working for others. But you're going to be working weekends. You're going to be working nights because that's when people have a chance to look at, at, at houses. Um, so you got the stressful career of the high end, you know, the high end career, but the stressful version. The other option, and this is about the only one where you can earn a really good living without having that stressful career path, and that is the high end professional. And a lot of them end up being stressed, stressful career paths anyway. But there are ways with these professions to not live that way, such as there's doctors that don't have their own practice but make a really good income as a specialist or you know whatever, and they do work a time and they go home and that's it. Um, engineers are probably the classic example of a person that's paid really well. They go to work, they do their job, they go home, that is all. 
But even these types of things are becoming more and more rare as their companies are deciding, well, if these people are this qualified, then there's a lot of other things they could do other than just you know, the schematic or this engineering platform or whatever. So a lot of these professions are being pushed into not just engineering but management roles, etc., and being edged into at least part of the stressful career path. But as it goes, being employed, that high-end professional, the, the programmer who does really advanced programming, who goes to work, starts his billing time at a.m., turns off the computer at 5, and that's it, and his billing time's over, and he's making $300 an hour, those are the jobs that at least you can make a lot of money without giving up your life to the company. And, and that's, that's the four. And the fifth one can have any one of these jobs, but generally never is the guy with the stressful career path, and it's what I call the happy-go-lucky worker. And I think they're really far and few between, but a lot of people claim to be this. The, the happy-go-lucky worker either has the dead-end job, the middle management job, the high professional job, whatever it is, does go home, doesn't answer the phone after 5 o'clock, doesn't really give a shit, uh, doesn't really love their job or hate their job, but they, but they just don't mind doing their job and they just don't care. And they make enough money to be happy. And most of them are in dead-end jobs. That doesn't mean that they're bad jobs. It just means they're not going anywhere. That's what makes them happy. They're not going to be forced into a promotion. Here's an example of somebody that would be uh, pushed into the stressful career path without even the financial rewards that it would have, let's say, as a business executive. My brother-in-law, police officer, uh, rose up to the rank of sergeant in, in his police department, um, was offered several different promotions, Didn't really want any of them. Prefers just to be a beat cop. Man, that's his deal. That's what he likes to do. And uh, was eventually pushed into criminal investigation. You're going to do this. And then eventually offered a promotion to lieutenant. And he was offered the promotion this way. So you're going to be a lieutenant now. In other words, you've said no enough times. If you, if you want to stay here, you want to earn your retirement, you're moving up. You're going to move up into this administrative role. You're going to have these other responsibilities, and you're going to do this. We let you turn down several. You don't get to do that anymore. So a lot of times, the person that could be the happy-go-lucky worker that's worked themselves up to a place where the income's sufficient for the lifestyle that they desire, and they can save some money, and they don't want their life invaded after five, and they don't want their job to start before eight, and they want their 30 minutes of their hour from lunch and their two 15-minute breaks and leave me alone when I'm on them, don't bother me, gets pushed out of that role if they're good at what they do. They get pushed up unless they're in a small enough company where it truly is dead end. And when I say that, see, people think dead end always is a bad thing. Dead end just often means that there's no place to go next. But, you know, if, if you like making $50,000 a year, you've risen up to make $50,000 a year, your employer loves you, you love your employer, you're going to do that job for another 15 years, It's dead end, but it's not a bad job if everybody's happy, if you can be the happy-go-lucky worker. So it almost takes a dead end job at a good pay rate to let a person be the happy-go-lucky worker so they don't get shoved up. But that's it. That's what you're going to choose from poverty, the dead end job that you're miserable with, the stressful career, the path of a high-end professional, which means usually a very high-end education, or the happy-go-lucky worker that's in a dead end job but doesn't care. All of them are okay if it's what you want. But to me, that sucks. All of those suck. Because I came out of poverty. I had dead-end jobs. 
I went through a stressful career, and there's no way I can see myself in the role of a high-end professional because I don't have the t I don't have the patience for those types of jobs. So I, I've done three. I'm not interested in the fourth, and it's impossible, therefore, for me to be the fifth, the happy-go-lucky. Can't do it. If I'm in somebody's business working as an employee, I'm going to look around and see 50 inefficiencies I want to correct. I've said this. If they hired me at Walmart for a day, they'd throw me out because I'd be in everybody's ass. What are you doing sitting down? There's customers over. I mean, I, I can't just sit back and not give a shit. Right? So if you're like that, you have to at least consider this option six, which is something of your own. I believe the best way to get started is with a just-do-it mentality. I, I want to talk a little bit right now about something that happens to people when they consider starting a business. Everybody thinks, well, I need a business license. I need to form a corporation. I need this. I need that. My, my advice would be set up a, a checking account for your business, just a second checking account. And even if you have a personal PayPal account and you want to start using that for your business, fine. It's okay. It really is. And as you take money into your business that goes through any kind of electronic format and goes through your payment gateway, just make sure when it comes out of your payment gateway and gets deposited in a bank, it goes into that separate checking account. And then take 70% of that money and move it wherever you want for savings, for spending, for whatever. And leave 30% of that checking account. And every quarter, take that whatever's remaining for that 30% and send it to the government is prepayment and taxes and following your taxes. And that way you won't get behind. And that way it's nice and clean and all the money that's business-related passes through there. And pay any business expenses out of that checking account or the PayPal account that's taking the money in. Very, very simple. That's about the maximum amount of stuff you need. You go right to your bank and open it. doesn't have to be a business checking account. Just be a second personal checking account. Just to make clean buckets for the money so that you understand, you don't lose track of what the hell's going on. And that way you can pull your online banking up and see every expense you ever paid out of there for your taxes is right there, or you paid it out of your PayPal account. Both of them are downloadable in Excel. You don't need to be a corporation. You don't probably don't need a business license. You might, California, or some other places, but most places to do small businesses, you probably don't need a business license. If you do... Only get what you need. You probably don't need an insurance policy. You can probably operate without that unless you're in a high-risk thing. If you are running excavators in somebody's backyard, you need to have a corporation and you need to have a or some form of entity and you need to have insurance, okay? Things like that. And that's, again, I say it all the time, tax attorney CPA. You talk to both, you get their advice, and maybe you talk to two of each and get their advice, and then you make your best decision based on that. Don't ask me that question. I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to tell you what kind of business to set up as far as an entity. But a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff like we're going to talk about today, you don't need a company. In fact, you're probably better off at least at first without one. So I believe in just getting started and doing what you can with what you have. Start out with go ahead Set up a blog. I don't care if you go do a dot .wordpress blog. I don't care if you get a domain name and set up your own blog. I don't care if you get a dot .blogger blog, if those things still exist. But start blogging and set up accounts in social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. 
And just start talking about whatever it is you are going to be in business doing. If you're going to make belts, talk about leatherworks and making leather. Not necessarily your, just talk about it. Start, use your, 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 your blog as like your, your war room, right? Your brainstorming area. I think about this and I think about that and I'm going to make some of these and look, I made some of these as prototypes and just put it out there. Doesn't matter if anybody looks at it. In fact, rest assured, in the beginning, no one's going to give a damn what you do. No one's going to pay attention. What you're doing by doing that, though, is you're establishing a base of operations that can be expanded, enhanced, made prettier, optimized, etc., agnosium for your business later on, and you're teaching yourself the skills. I had somebody at my home recently. We were talking about launching a business for him, and he was telling me, well, it's easy for you. I'm like, all we were talking about is posting the podcast every day and putting it on Twitter and Facebook. And he really was trying to block it mentally. Like, I don't want to hear it because it's easy for you. I'm like, if you can cut and paste and push a button, you can do it too. And the older we get, the more uncomfortable we are at these technologies, and the more we convince ourselves that, well, somebody else can do that, but I can't. And here's the word for that line of thinking. Bullshit. 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 One more time, just so you get it through your thick-ass skulls, especially those of you in your 50s. Bullshit, okay? It's bullshit. You can do it. It will take you a couple hours to get able to do so fast you won't even think about it. It's not hard if brain-dead teenagers can do it with one hand while driving down the road eating Cheetos. You can sit down behind a computer and do it in a couple seconds. And this is important today. This is necessary today. I want you to go back in time, and I want you to think back to about, let's say, the 1920s, when people did business this way. They would get a catalog. okay? They would see something in a catalog and have a question about it. They would handwrite a letter, put a stamp on it, and mail it to the company. Somebody at the company would read the letter and handwrite them an answer and mail it back to them, and then they would place the order. Well, by the 1920s, we had this thing coming up called the, the telephone. Can you imagine being a business executive about 1925? And your secretary, will call her Hazel, says, Mr. Smith, there's a customer with a question about our widget, and they want to talk to you on the phone. And you say, you go tell that customer to write me a letter like they did in the old days. I'm not getting on the phone to answer a question. People that refuse to use social media today are that person. This is what your market's using. Entire companies are built with their entire marketing campaign being nothing but pictures of shit on Instagram. It is that powerful. So start out with a blog and social media no matter what you're going to do. And start that before you're even doing. Discuss with yourself publicly what you're thinking about doing. No one is going to read it. Well, then why would I do it? Because eventually someone will. Eventually a lot of someones might. And you need it. And you're going to learn with it. So don't be afraid to screw up because no one's going to see your screw up. And even if they do, if, it's, if you're at the insignificant phase and you say something stupid, three months later when you're doing it right, the person that saw the stupid won't even remember it was you. You're not Apple, you're not Microsoft, you're not Verizon, you're not that important. Don't become inactive by believing that what you say has a bigger impact than it does, because it doesn't have much of an impact at all when you start. 
and I've worked with, with fairly large companies that can't get through this, this through their head. They think if they say something on a blog, it's going to be on CNN tomorrow. And, and my response to them is always, well, that's the goal. That's what we, we want to get you to the point where that'll happen, but right now it won't, so stop worrying about it. You know, if you take one person off, say, I'm sorry, you misunderstood and change it. All this shit's editable, by the way. Okay? So blogging and social media. And then as to what you're going to do, you need to ask yourself some questions. What do you love and what are you good at? What do you love to do? You know, don't worry about what I think a good business is. I, I am heavily, um, for myself, anti-physical products as I start to get into the physical products business with selling eggs off the farm. But you know, that's really Dorothy's business. But there's a lot of money to be made in, in craft businesses and things like that. There really is. People like to buy stuff. If they didn't, we wouldn't have much of an economy now, would we? Uh, there's money in the food industry. There's money in so many different ways that we're going to talk about here in a minute. He's always entertaining and informative, and we're so glad to have him here. Please help me welcome Gary Vaynerchuk. You don't want this, do you? Hey. So, first and foremost, oh, should I just do this for you? First and foremost, I really want to um, thank everybody. I mean, this is outrageously humbling. Every single person in this room, since you're here, there's no doubt in my mind that you are going to kill it. And that's what I want to talk about today. PP. I really want to talk about this. Patience and passion. Let's start with passion. There is way too many people in this room right now that are doing stuff they hate. Please stop doing that. There is no reason in 2008 to do shit you hate. None. Promise me you won't. Because you can lose just as much money being happy as hell. <laughs> Clap that up because it's the real shit. You know, I, I took over my family business. It was doing a couple million dollars a year. And over a seven-year period, I built it up to a $50 million company, turned 30, freaked out, and decided I wanted to do something else. Get on my face. And so... <laughs> I saw, you know, Zay Frank and Amanda Khan at Rocket Boom doing all that stuff. I'm like, Psh, I can do that shit. And so that's what I decided I want to do. I became 1% not happy selling wine. One. And that's when I changed my life. I started Wine Library TV in February. I had to do the holiday thing and all that. But, and, and that's where this all started. And by the way, talking about patience, everyone's like, oh, Gary, this is so great. But you, you're so handsome and charismatic. I can't do that shit. You know? And I was like, listen. 17 months, I don't know if you know this, 17 months, you saw Fred say 2006, you just heard about me yesterday, 17 months, I did Wine Library TV five days a week, I walked away from being CEO of my company, running that stuff, watching it dip, for seven years it grew 24% every month against the month from the year before, and I walked away, started Wine Library TV, and I became part of the community, let's talk about community, listen to your users like Fred said, absolutely. But giving a shit about your users is way better. People listen, but they don't do anything. Doing something, answering those emails, giving a crap, caring about your user base, that's what you need to do. You need to care about everything. And it starts with yourself. Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what do I want to do every day for the rest of my life? Do that. I promise you can monetize that shit. If you love ALF, do an ALF blog. You collect Smurfs, Smurf it up. Whatever you need to do, do it. 
so many people are talking about, I can't monetize, I can't monetize. There's a billion 70-year-old douchebags that are in control right now. But the number two person, that 34-year-old lady, she's going to buy your shit. She's going to put the, the advertising on your stuff. It's coming. Stop crying and just keep hustling. Hustle is the most important word ever. And that's what you need to do. You need to work so hard. Guys, we're building businesses here. This isn't about parties. We're building businesses. I used to work in a liquor store from 7 in the morning to 10 at night for 7 straight years and the only days off I took were to watch the New York Jets. And you know what that did? It made me throw up on myself. So that wasn't a vacation. (laughs) And that gave me a platform. That was a stepping stone. The reason I was able to start Wine Library TV was because I built up this business. It gave me the equity, the cash flow to do it. You need to hustle. You have to have a, you have to have a business model. I mean, getting a crap load of users and then flipping it is not a business model. Make some cash along the way. Thank you for clapping. Make some cash along the way. You know, Fred and I, Fred Wilson, who spoke earlier, he was pretty solid, but a little boring. But, you know, we had coffee the other day and I was like trying to be cool. I'm like, Fred, I'm so about freemium. A word my brother AJ loves. You know, freemium, right? Have a free, you know, free platform, but have something to pay for. And Fred looks at me and goes, I coined that phrase. I just wanted to say that because he's so cool. <laughs> I want you to think about something. I did a video on this on GaryVaynerchuk.com. I always say, legacy is greater than currency. Has everybody completely grasped that your great, great, great grandchildren are going to watch and see everything you've ever done? I think about that every single day. I want my grandkids to be proud of me. My mom did such a good job raising me. You know what I hustle about? I hustle about meeting every single person on earth. Do you know why? Because most people who don't really know me think I'm a loud, obnoxious East Coast guy. Why is this guy here? He's a wine guy. He's a dick. But when they meet me, they they can see that I care. I got lucky. My DNA is weird. I care about people more than I care about myself. You know, my gift is my curse kind of thing. And that's helped me quite a bit. Because listen, it is not fun answering what wine goes with fish 74 times a day. It's not. I produce the most non-scalable apps on earth. When Facebook launched apps, I was like, what should we do? You know what? We'll do a Facebook app called Ask Gary. You ask me a wine question, and I answer it. That was eight hours a day for a month. That sucked. And even worse, I would let nobody answer them except me. I answer every one of my emails. 700 to 1,000 a day. This is why I travel so much. The only place I catch up is on the air. You know, on my air, which is kind of cool, and in the air. So... That is the only way for me to keep up with it. I mean, honestly, the only thing I fear in the world is internet on planes. Right? Dave, I'm telling you, once that happens, I'm dead. I'm going to retire from email. I don't know. You know, I'm sitting up here and I'm thinking, I'm like, what can I say? What can I do? You know, what I really hope is just for people to be happy. Honestly, We are sitting where the gatekeepers are no longer in control. Guys, I was in my office in the dirty jurors, right? And I started taping Wine Library TV. Now I'm repped by CAA, the biggest talent agent. I mean, they they rep Oprah and Tom Cruise and Beckham and me. That's a joke. (laughs) 
I mean, how did they find him? You know, how did I book Conan and Ellen and Front Page Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine? All of them without an agent, without a PR person. If you're pumping out good shit, people will follow. But if you for a second, a half a second, don't believe in what you're doing, whether it's your personal brand or the product you represent, you need to get out now. Please. Can you guys promise me that? I'll give you like eight bucks each. All right, well, that's about half of that speech. And I, I want to point something out. 2008, uh, that's when I first heard that. Um, what started in 2008? The Survival Podcast started in 2008. So did I um, hear that and say, I'm going to go do the Survival Podcast? No. In fact, part of the reason I almost got up and walked out of the company I was working with at the time, which again I was an owner of, is that I had already started the Survival Podcast. I was about two and a half months into it, maybe three. And I knew it, what it could become, and I knew I'd found what I really wanted to do. But I also knew it was a, a while to go yet. In fact, in my first year, I ran a contest to get to a 1,000 listeners, tell a friend contest. You, all you do is agree to tell a friend, fill out a form, and you, you get entered in a contest to win a specially engraved iPod. And uh, by the end of the year, we got to 2,000. No, we weren't even close to a thousand yet. But when I heard that, I said, "Well, that's what I want to do, and I, I know that what I'm doing now is the right thing to do. I should just go do it." And it was maybe a little easier for me because listening to Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm like, "That guy sounds like me." In fact, the person that sent me the video said, "Hey, this guy sounds just like you." And what I realized is, yeah, but he he's he's doing it. And there's a lot to be said for paying your dues, working a job, learning a skill. Um, and I did, you know, I was in, I was in my thirties at that point and I thought, but I've done enough of that. It's time to do something that's just for me. And, uh, so hopefully today you kind of feel that way too. And still I did it strategically. I don't want to ever hear that somebody walked away from a, you know, $80,000 a year job and, uh, and ended up broke two months later because, because they listened to Gary Vaynerchuk or Jack Spierko. Um, I want you, I want to hear how you built, the, the platform for yourself and walked into it and walked away from that job and, and never looked back. That's what I want to hear. Um, so let's talk about some concepts and my thoughts on them. One thing that a lot of people think about doing, and it can be a good business, is consulting. And when I talk about consulting, I mean everything from permaculture to database management to uh, proposal writing to legal consulting to tax consulting to finance consulting, just the big giant umbrella consulting. Um, consulting can be a good business because, you know, five or six clients that are, are, are well-off clients for the right type of consulting can pay all your bills easily for a year, and you might only really work the equivalent of six months' time for that. And so it can be quite lucrative. It's also usually quite uh, bursty. Everybody wants you, nobody wants you. Everybody wants you, nobody wants you. And what that means is the time when everybody wants you, you can't take everybody. And when you can't take people often enough, they stop coming back. So one of the challenges with consulting is to kind of level that out. Because uh, a good consulting model is a kind of consulting model where companies have you in and bring you back. Repeat business and referral business is something you're always looking for in any business. So consulting has its advantages. Here's what I've seen. The people that become good consultants are either really good at marketing what they do. First of all, they're always good at what they do. 
So no matter what the path is, you're not going to be a good consultant unless you're really, really good at what you're consulting on about. Okay, So if you're a 450-pound fat guy consulting with people on how to get skinny, you're probably not going to do well. Okay, um, But there are people that are obviously good at what they do, but they also have a reputation for being good at what they do. Those are the two kinds. So either they're really good at marketing it, so they become an expert simply by being known as an expert through effective marketing. Or they are people that consult in something very similar to what they came up through in the career path. You know, they were they are a really great analyst, really great data analyst, and, and and 20, 30 companies are aware of their ability as a data analyst, and they end up doing independent consulting on data analytics for those 20 companies. All 20 of those companies would like to hire them. All those companies feel like we can't really pay this guy enough to not lose them to somebody else. And the guy turns around and says, well, I can consult to you, 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 and you for this piece of money. So that consulting can work that way. With things like you know, being a, a consultant for something like, let's say, permaculture installations or whatever, then you have to really be good at marketing yourself because there's not a lot of jobs doing that right now. So consulting has its value, but I think it's actually one of the tougher ways to go. It, it really is, unless you have developed a network of people that know and value your advice. By the way, one of the best ways to do that is go into educational podcasting. I could have more consulting business right now than I could ever take if I wanted it, but I don't. So another good way to get consulting business is say you don't want it. Uh, that's not what I'm doing, but I'll tell you, when you say you don't want it, you really get a lot of requests for it. Um, the next is kind of moving more toward the theme of what we talk about here every day, and I lumped it all together, farm, garden, food production, food value add, and there's so many things under this that I don't even think people realize, and this is where the power of the core, uh, the core product shines through. We do duck eggs. Duck Eggs, for me, is also, just like this podcast, is a lifestyle business. I love getting up and talking to my ducks. I think it's one of... How much better can a morning be than I walk outside, you know, and they've learned all ducks go to bed means go to bed. Well, now what they've learned is who let the ducks out means they're going to get let out. So I walk out, I go, who let the ducks out? They all start quacking. They're all like, it's the guy. He's coming. He's going to let us out. And they're all happy to see me. They start running around, wagging their tails. They're happy. How much better could your day start... Then 120 birds overjoyed that, once again, the life giver has come to open the gate. That's how they view you. It's awesome. We go out, we fill up their pools, we walk around, and we feed them. My wife feeds them at night mostly, but I'll help feed too if she wants me to. And we spend a lot of time watching them, enjoying them, interacting with them. We like raising. We love this. The eggs are a byproduct that produces a profit. So that's a lifestyle business. But... That produced a core, and we're figuring out, well, how do we monetize this now? So here's another thing that I've been thinking about. So we're going to be planting a whole bunch of mint, and that can make teas. I was sitting there the other day thinking, you know, you got like this multi-year plan to get into the herbal tea business with having enough product here. What do people really want? Organically grown, high-quality, unique blends of tea they can't get anywhere else. Huh. I wonder how much a pound of organically sourced mint is. Start looking this stuff up. And I'm going, well, if I was going to make a tea, I'd make it with like these four ingredients. I think that would be pretty good. And you start looking at buying a pound of each of that, and you go, wow, that's that's not a lot of money. If you're putting them in little bags for five bucks a bag, 
and making these unique custom blends and just saying to your customers, they're $5 a piece or you can have all five for 20 bucks, probably sell that to them once a month. The margin on that's through the roof, but the duck eggs enable that. You know, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of these folks that are in the audience that are doing things like soaps and all, they may be growing some of their ingredients, but I bet you they're sourcing a lot of their herbs and oils the same way. High quality sourcing. Don't try to do everything. And you realize that I can buy a pound of mint, organic mint, for less than I can afford my time to produce it. That doesn't mean I shouldn't have anything produced here that goes into a product like that, but it means like I shouldn't wait till I do. So that's something we're probably going to do to get right straight into that. Uh, is, is starting developing some things. So what I'll do is I'll order like you know a couple ounces of everything and play with it, and then find the best blends, and then sell those to our customers as custom nine mile farm blends. I know I know a guy that I just met from the audience that bartered with me for coffee for a one year membership of MSB. He doesn't grow coffee; he buys green coffee and he custom roast coffee in his own house. I mean. There's so many things like that, and there's such a demand for it. Such a demand for it. I, you know, I mentioned to one of my customers recently for eggs that I was, I was going to go try this new place, and I said they, they do custom meat cutting, and I might be able to put something together down there where, you know, maybe there's like a half a steer, and we have all have grass-fed beef or something, and they're like excited. Obviously, I'm going to take something for doing that. I'm not going to do it for free. And that leads to another business idea that I have later in this list. But there's so many things in this. The microgreen stuff. You know, we're going to teach people how to do that at the workshop. John Dowdy's going to do that uh, in October. You know, John went from, this sounds like a good idea, to sending me an email that said $650 in invoice in this week, bitch. Right? Just messing with me. And, uh, and so, you know, it's a $650 a week of microgreens. And, and no place to go but up. Out of his house. Because he wanted it, and it because there's a demand. You know, instead of doing what what you think is cool, find the demand, match your passion to it, and meet it. So that's what the craft based business world I think has so much upside, and I think there's so many people dinkering around with it that it could be done much better. If you're really good at what you do and you do something really unique, you know, you can build craft based business soaps, belts, anything, knives. Custom jewelry, I don't know, anything you want. And I see people making the rounds at like trade shows and stuff like that. And I'm sure that that's profitable if a person keeps doing it. You don't keep doing that if it's not profitable. But wouldn't it be better to find all the little custom shops within a 100-mile radius of where you live and get a little bit of product in every single one of them? To just walk in and say, I'll give you this display on consignment. We'll leave it here two weeks. Here's a little card that explains it. There's my story. So do the marketing for the store. Don't just show them and go, I want to put my bracelets in and put them on a little hanger and, and, and expect that they're going to sell. But if you have a set out a little printout thing of cards that explains what makes them unique, what makes them special, the story is what sells. The story is what gets referral business. People tell the story. Marketing is telling a story. The most powerful marketing makes your customers retell your story for you. So do that. That would be one way to go in the craft business. If you don't have a website selling online in the craft business, you're wrong. I mean, you're just you're just not getting business you could get. Because somebody goes and visits their, their cousin in New England and says, look at this. And they go, well, that's cool. I would like one of those. Well, I bought it for this person who lives next door to me. Do they have a website? No. Yeah, well, I'll get one for you and it never happens. Right? 
I mean, it would be great if it did, but it doesn't. So the craft business is another one, I think. I think one of the most opportunistic things you can do right now, if you are the kind of like jack-of-all-trades that can get stuff done, that can fix everything from a pool pump to siding on a house to uh, you know a plumbing problem, whatever, is a general handyman service. Um, my general handyman is always busy, you know? I treat him really good so he does my work first. But when I need something done and I don't have time to do it or I don't know exactly how to do it or it's something that could kill me and so I don't want to do it because it's electrical, uh, I, you know, as long as he doesn't get stupid with his pricing, I don't even care. Yeah, that's how much it is. Go do it. It's just, it's like putting gas in the car. I need this done. This guy I know will do it right. I know he'll do what I ask him to do. I know he'll show up and get it done. So that's how much it is. So I'm going to pay for it. Now, if you're that guy with 20 to 30 families that view you that way, you, you you probably have as much business as you want in a year. And I know so many people doing this now, this type of a business. And and I don't see them stepping on each other's toes at all. And I'm on next door and thinking, if I was that guy, I would be getting business every day just from next door. Nextdoor.com. It's like a little mini Facebook for just your community and surrounding neighborhoods. I see people all the time. I need someone to repair, repair my gutters and whatever. You know, and sometimes I'll mention my guy's name on there, but you see three other people pitch in. But if you were just the guy, like nobody that actually does the work is on there. The guy that did the work was on there, and you'd just be like, oh, I do that. And you do work for four or five neighbors, and everybody sees the conversation. Thanks, John. You did a great job. Guess what? You're getting the phone call. That's simple. Low-end. That's online marketing, 100% local. You know, and it's so simple. And there's so many people out there that are unemployed right now, can't find a job, and are that guy. They can do this work, and they don't even understand that the opportunity is there. I've always considered, like, I've ticked a box when I buy a new home in a new neighborhood, and I don't know anybody, when I find a guy I can count on to be that guy. There's a lot of people out there like me. It's not that we can't do it ourselves. We don't have the time. You know, I had him do some, some work for me, some little gates and stuff. He charged me 100 bucks for it. It took him about four hours to do. It would have took me about eight to ten because I'm not as good and I'm not set up to do it the way he is. Right? So it would have took me twice as long. I'm sorry. I, I, I am capable of doing more for my business than $100 in value in eight hours. I, 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 I literally can't afford to go do that unless it's a fun project that I really want to do. Then I can do it on my weekend or whatever. Because if you work hard, then your time off your business, if you're going to be doing stuff like that, should be reserved for the things you like to do. So what would happen is I would just keep deferring that until it absolutely had to be done. Or I can just pay a guy and get it done. That handyman business model is beautiful. When people start to realize, yeah, I can do anything. You need a pressure tank installed, whatever it is, I can do that too. Yes. Oh, you got a problem with your sink? Yes, I can fix that. Including, you know, I, I, I thought I could take care of this for you, but now that I look at it, you should call a professional for this, somebody that specializes in plumbing. This is beyond, you know, a simple job. And then that, then you, you still have value because your customer says, well, now I know it's worth bringing in a licensed electrician for or whatever. So, or having, you know, that, that same guy that says, I can't do a full remodel for you, but I can meet with your contractor for a hundred bucks and make sure you're not getting taken and make sure things are not being overlooked. 
again, something you may be able to do for yourself, but do you have time? The, the, I mean, it's a great one. Pool service. Pool service is a business that you can be in tomorrow morning. You need a few hundred dollars worth of chemicals, a little bit of knowledge, and some uh, some some items like skimmer uh, skimmers and vacuums and stuff like that. And you can be in business. If you want to look professional, if you have a pickup truck, you can go to, uh, what is it called, vistaprint.com and order a couple door mags, throw them on your doors, and you look professional the next day. In a lot of places, you don't need any kind of license permits, nothing to do this. Some places, I'm sure California, I don't know, you probably have to sign a, a thing that says that you'll devote your life to the state for the rest of the, the eternity to be able to do that. But, you know, most places, you don't even need that. Here, you certainly don't. This is the business I put my kid into. We had a guy cleaning our pool. We started talking to him. He said he was turning down business. He couldn't, he couldn't take all the business he had. Now, he hustled for a couple of years to build his business up. I'm like, well, what do you make a year? He goes, I make about 70 grand a year by the time it's all said and done with. I'm like, in billing? He goes, no, and, and like that's, that's what I make after expenses. You make 70 grand a year cleaning pools? He goes, yeah, I work really hard for six months. I work sort of kind of hard for three, like half time. And then I, for about three months out of the year, I don't do very much at all. But that's that's what I make doing this. And we started talking about our kid. He goes, well, I'd be. He goes, he's not going to step on my clothes. I'm happy to show him the ropes. So we set him up with a business specializing in above ground pools. By the way, kid's not doing anything with it. I'm, I'm telling you guys, you got to want a business. You got to drive it yourself. No one's going to hand it to you. And if they do, you won't you won't appreciate it. You got to earn it. Uh, you know, I've learned that as much as I want this for my son. That was my cautionary words about. Uh, a family-based business, you know, make sure they want it. Make sure they, they beg to get in, not that you pull them in. But I have to tell you, after researching this for my son and seeing the opportunities available and realizing how hard it is as a pool owner, myself, above-ground pools, nobody wants to touch them. Some kind of stigma. Don't understand it. It's always been hard to find a pool guy. Can I clean my own pool? Yes. Do I have time to? No. What happens when you get behind on maintenance? Green pool. So I want somebody to just take care of it. So I'm one of my son's four, four tiny little customers. He barely makes enough money to work this time to do it. Kid could have 50, 60 customers by now easy. He could be making more money than doing this than 10 and bar. But he's not an entrepreneur. He's not miserable enough in employment yet. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the truth. But after that research, I have to tell you, if I went bust, something happened, this show tanked, Nobody liked me anymore. I was blackballed from the Internet. I don't know. I had to start with nothing. And I had to make sure that I could pay my bills. I'd, I'd clean up my pickup truck. I'd go down to the pool store. I'd buy the stuff I want. I'd have some business cards. I'd give those guys cards. I'd be there every day until they gave me a customer. All the pool stores. I'd hit up every neighborhood. I'd be on Google Earth pulling up neighborhoods and looking at satellite views and picking neighborhoods with high densities of above-ground pools, and I'd be knocking on doors. I clean your pool for this much. You know, I'll take it over. You won't have to do it anymore. I'll give you your first one free right now. And I bet you in a month, in a month, I could be making three to $5,000 a month. It, but, you know, it would take hustle. It would be 10-hour days, seven days a week, for that month to get that business built up. But you could do it if you want to. Now, I hate cleaning pools. I don't even want to own a pool, to tell you the truth. I own a pool because my wife likes having a pool. I don't feel like you get enough, even here in the South, like you get enough use out of it. You know, I, I'm not big on sitting and floating around in a bunch of chlorine. I, I'm not big on pools. I, I'll go jump in it because it's there, but if we didn't have a pool, I wouldn't care. 
So I don't even really want a pool. I certainly don't want to do maintenance on a pool. So I don't want to do this for a living. But if I needed money, I know that that works, and it works fast. You can also just like go a totally different route. How about online product sales? If you listen to Five Minutes with Jack, and I have a whole series of business podcasts at jackspirico.com called Five Minutes with Jack. Five Minutes with Jack became 15 Minutes with Jack and, and, and grew even from there. Um, and I quit doing it because I realized that most people were listening, but most people weren't doing And I've always said I'll do another episode of Five Minutes with Jack when somebody can prove to me they've done everything in the 128 episodes that are there. Anyway, if you listen to that, you'll hear that I'm not a big fan of affiliate sales and things like that, third parties, because someone can change the rules. And I've had bad experiences with this. At one time, I built a whole bunch of little websites, and they all ran Google AdWords. This is when you're on a website and you see little advertisements from Google, and if you click on them, you go to the advertiser site, Um, when that started out, it was really easy once you knew what to do to make money with. Um, one In one year, on one site, I made over $30,000 in AdSense revenue. And by the end of that year, a lot of things changed, and there was just no money in it anymore. It wasn't worth it anymore. My my sites that were making me really good income started making me a couple hundred, three hundred, four hundred dollars a month combined. And... The truth, you might say, well, that's good money for doing nothing. Yeah, but the work it took to get that there wasn't worth that. If that's what it paid on the way up, I wouldn't have, I would have done it. And I still get a little check from Google every month, uh, in, in AdWords revenue, um, or AdSense revenue. And I don't do anything and haven't done anything for years. So that's great, but it's not an, it's not a business I would go into today. There was a time when you could do what was called arbitrage. Uh, with, with AdWords and, and or AdSense. And what you would do is you build a little website up. Let's say, uh, I had one on heavy construction equipment. It just had information about bobcats and excavators or whatever. A little site, five page site I put together in like an hour. Put really good ad placement on it so they would get high click through rates, aligned images, set up the ads so they kind of fade in, they look like content, that type of thing. They look like navigation, garner a lot of clicks. And then I would go to a web uh, service like Seven Search. And I would, you know, put $50 account, set up a $50 account with them, and I'd buy every single visitor I could get for anything to do with construction equipment for up to two cents a click. And people selling, like, you know, $200,000 excavators were paying $2 a click. And if they clicked on an ad on my site, I was getting, you know, a, a buck of the two bucks. So that model started to, 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 to work out really well. So when... Google changed the payout policy and started calling things not really clicks when they were and claiming they were preventing click fraud and other kinds of bullshit. And I could go deeper into this, but I, I really got a, a bad feeling about it. And I realized that if I built my business on somebody else's rules, they could change the rules. So I have a bad image of some of that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. There are people that are nothing more than Amazon.com affiliates that makes six figures a year easy. I mean, you could take my same model with Amazon, and you could say, for the next two weeks, I am going to teach myself how to build a basic five-page website that looks good in WordPress, and how to be able to do that turnkey. So all I do is change a couple images, and maybe the color scheme. So once it might take me two weeks to build my first one, but I can build another one in an hour. 
I'm not going to get really good with graphics design and all this stuff, and I'm not going to worry too much about it. Good flow, good format, good whatever, and I'm going to let the content have its own images that I can get from the third-party affiliate service that I'm going to be using. And so I'm going to spend two weeks learning how to do that. Good, you should do that anyway, no matter what your business is. Then the next two weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to research electric pressure cookers and canners. And I'm going to come up with the five absolute best ones. And I'm going to write up an article on each one, the good, the bad. I'm going to put a comparative matrix together. And in two weeks, I'm going to put this little five-page website together that, that sends people to Amazon to buy one of these five cookers. Okay, And it might take you two weeks to do that. You'll do your next one in a week. And you'll do your next one in three days. And you'll get to wear three days part-time work and you can turn out a website like that. And you just start taking items, hatchets, machetes, I don't know, doohickey thingamabobs, whatever. And what you do to keep your costs down is you get a domain name like thebeststuff.com, which I'm sure doesn't exist, but this is an example. You set up a HostGator account with unlimited subdomains. And every time you create a new site, you just make like electricpressurecanners.thebeststuff.com. You make a new website. And you build a network of these sites. And all these sites do is when people are looking and, and asking questions like, what is the best electric pressure canner? Maybe they find you in the results with a little bit of learning some more skills and optimization. And they find your page and they read and they say, I've heard of that one before. That crazy redneck podcaster talks about it. And they click on it. They end up on Amazon. If they buy it, you earn some money. 4% to 8% depending on your monthly volume. Not bad for not doing anything except referring the traffic. Here's the key with Amazon. They put a cookie on you. So to make affiliates comfortable uh, who say, well, what if they leave? They say, okay, well, once they're here, whatever they buy is yours. And for the next 30 days, as long as that cookie stays on their browser, if they come back and buy something, it's yours. You get the sale. Really? Well, that's pretty cool. And... Uh, So that means like the guy's looking for power pressure cooker XL ends up on Amazon, bumps around there on a bit, decides not to buy one, buys some tube socks, uh, buys some stuff for his garden and buys his wife a necklace and you get paid for it. Is there a lot of money in this? The model I just gave you, not so much, but you got to learn your skills somewhere. So why not get paid to learn? So if you did that and you built in the next calendar year, so, so not till the end of this year, but in the next full year from starting today until one year from now, 40 websites like this. All on one domain, all on one hosting account, costs you $60 a year to run that. Okay? 60 bucks a year. That's your, that's your, that's your total expenses and your time where you're learning a skill of website development, search engine marketing, all this stuff. How, how all the, the social media works, all this stuff. If every one of those 40 websites makes you $10 a week, that's $400 a week. That's a $10 an hour job. $10 an hour job doesn't excite me. Somebody else working a $10 an hour job and giving me all their money excites me, though, because that's what you have now. Those 40 websites collectively are one person making $10 an hour, giving you their entire paycheck every week. That's a site network. That's one way to work with affiliate and third-party sales. Um, moving on, information marketing. As you learn to do that, well, then it makes sense to start developing your own products for sale. Special reports, e-books, uh, video products, writing your own 
full-on books for sale, both direct and through Amazon, via Kindle and what have you, creating repeat and royalty income. That's a really great kind of way to move off to your next level with that. Uh, doing drop shipping of products where you have your own site. Basically, it's your business, but you never touch the product. One way we did this in the past, I did a DVD series for Valerie Asanoff on uh, martial arts. I don't want to ship product. I'm not in the DVD production business, so we found a company called Corporate Disc. We sent Corporate Disc the master disc. We sent them all the artwork for the, the, the decals on the disc and for the jackets on the cases. We selected our options. They said it's going to cost you $3 a, a unit to send this two-disc set out, plus there's a fee of 2 bucks. We said, okay, we're going to sell that for $39. The difference is ours. When an order came in, the money went 100% to our account, and we sent them with automation. Once it was set up, we never had to do it. Their, their fee, and the order went to them too. They fulfilled the order. We never touched it. You could drop ship a freaking speedboat, buddy. The CEO of Alibaba, who's this huge Chinese clearinghouse, all these vendors that make things offshore, did a keynote speech, at, I don't remember where, somewhere in the United States, but he said, if you're not rich by the time you're 30 in today's day and age, it's your own fault. That's how much opportunity there is just in my marketplace. He's not wrong. Maybe it's not for you, but it's an option. So affiliate, dropship, information marketing, all that stuff can be done online. Coming back to the, 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 you know, the real world, the physical world, what about pet sitting and walking? We, we talked about that earlier. That's, that's a great business. There's people that need somebody to do this. People treat their dogs like family. I know I do. I know that when I leave my property, my animals are one of my biggest concerns. It's one of the biggest things that keeps me here. We did a whole show on kind of a farm sitting model, and that's another thing. But just basic pet sitting, dogs and cats. There's people that need somebody to go by, take their dog out for 30 minutes every day. I have a friend that lives in New Jersey. These are the people I talked about that they, they sold their house because they were paying way too much taxes on it. They found a more affordable place to live. But her husband is a general handyman now and has been for years, and she runs a pet-sitting business. And she makes more money as a pet-sitter than she ever made as an employee at any point in her life. She makes good money as a pet-sitter. She pet-sits for yuppies who want their animals taken care of like they're little children, and she's the kind of person that naturally takes care of a dog like it's a little child. She loves dogs. And she loves cats, but she really loves dogs. This lady... At one time when she worked with um, a group of people that was like an animal rights uh, company or a, like a nonprofit, if they had a dog that they knew was being abused but they couldn't get authorities to come in and take the dog away, they would break in and steal the dog just to protect the dog. We're talking some little bit of anarcho <laughs> spirit going on there. You know, some guy's beating his dog or chained it to a tree or something and the dog's just wasting away. They'd go steal the dog. They'd move the dog far enough away the guy'd never find it. Take care of the dog, nurse it back to health, put a dog in a foster home, and find it a forever home. Okay, if you're doing that, if you're risking going to jail over a dog, you love dogs. So this, this is what I was talking about earlier. you got to do what you love. This is a perfect business for her. When she realized she could make money doing this, and all she did was put together a little five-page basic website that shows she's for real, put a couple of videos on, has a video of like her walking a dog and stuff like that, Real simple stuff, not Hollywood production level stuff, stuff you can do with an iPhone, very little editing, 
and made you know business cards and got somebody to put together a logo for a couple hundred bucks. Basic model that works for just about everything. Went to all the uh, the pet food stores, every place you can put up cards. Uh, all the veterinary, that's the big one. She went to all the vets. You know, I do pet sitting. If you have people that need pet sitting, call in, call me. And she went back. And she went back. And this is the big thing. You don't do that once. You go back. She went back. She'd go into the office where, you know, they had like the big uh, pet, you know, vets where you have like three doctors and four assistants and two people working a desk. And she'd come in on like a Tuesday morning when they're slow with, oh, it's me again. And here's some donuts. Everybody starts liking to see Kathy show up. Yeah, somebody calls in. There's four people that came in in the last month saying that, but Kathy brings donuts. So you guys should call Kathy. Then she takes care of the people's animals, and the people see the level of care that they can't even believe they see of their animals. She treats the animals better than they do. And she tells the, and they tell the vet, oh, my God, she's amazing. And they say, oh, she's amazing. Our customers are happy, and she brings us donuts. Next thing you know, Kathy's got her kids working in her business, turning it into a family business. Dog sitting. Why? Because she loves doing it. A person that doesn't love animals is not going to build that business that way that fast. It's not going to happen. It shows. People feel it. People that care about their animals enough to pay somebody to look after them can tell when somebody else cares about that animal that much. So it's a good business, but you got to do it. What about this? We talked about food earlier and producing your own stuff and all. What about just like a CSA organic food club? Not a CSA, you're thinking like community-supported agriculture programs work like this. I have a farm. It's going to cost me $20,000 to do business this year, to get seed, to get fertilizer, to run my equipment, whatever. So I sell a number of shares till I get my $20,000. And then everything that I, that, that, you know, beyond that's profit. And every week or every two weeks, my customers come and I give them a share of the production for as long as there's production that year. They basically buy a share of production. And, and this has worked well and it's got a lot of farms started and all. But again, this, this production model requires a lot of upfront investment. And it's not for everybody, and not everybody's good at it. And, I mean, to produce the kind of variety you need to do something like that well is difficult. So what if you went into a different business model? It's kind of like a CSA, but you're not the one producing anything. What if you just started finding every single person in your area, let's say within 25, 30 miles of you to make your trip, you know, kind of consolidatable, that produces local anything? as far as food, meat, fruit, vegetables, whatever, and just went to each one of them and said, how much are you left over with every week, every month? That if I just came in and said, whatever's left over, I'll buy for X, maybe a little bit less than you're selling it for, but now it's not going to go to waste. It's going to be gone, and you know it's sold. And, and you just built up a catalog of goods like that. You could now do two things. You could put that catalog together and offer home delivery service of that food. And of course you add on to that plus charge a delivery fee. Or you just build a CSA model on that. Every week we come to your house with a basket of food. Or every week you come to our place and we give you a bin of food. What's in it? Here's the list of stuff we source, but it'll change every week. But it will be at least X. Now, now you don't have to grow anything. 
Now, if one of your farms or your producers fail, all you have to do is find someone to replace them. You're not going to have them all fail. Now you've got a much less uh, bursty business. It's not feast and then famine and feast and then famine and feast and then famine because you can find people to produce different things optimally all year long, including value-add products. You can take that old lady that likes to make blackberry jam and say, I have 50 customers. And she said, I don't want to make 50 a week. Can you make 50 a month for me? Can you make me 50 a month? Yeah, I can make 50 a month. I'll pay you X. Is that good? Fine. I'm going to sell them for Y. The difference we call profit. Z, okay? And then every month, there's a different jam. Now, you could even say, do you, can you do apple jelly? Yeah, okay, well, in September, I want you to do apple jelly. Okay, I'll go, no, you don't need apples for September. I'm going to bring you the September apples. So you get all the bruiser apples that make good jelly, you bring them to the old lady that makes the, and now you start to build this story. I'm sourcing as much as I can locally from all these people. I'm building a food hub. And I'm providing value-added service. I'm doing what you... I have people drive an hour to get my duck eggs. Don't you think those people would be good customers for someone that would come here, get my duck eggs, and put them in a bin with a couple hundred dollars worth of food every week and take them to them instead? I mean, especially if I grow the, the flock a little bit bigger, do you think it, I'd say no if somebody came to me and said, we'll buy all the duck eggs that you can't sell every week. Good right now, I'd say that's fine, except I don't have any that I can't sell. But if I did, I'd, yeah, I'm sure you could put together chicken eggs around here real easy doing that. If I wanted to do that with duck eggs, I could do that. I know plenty of people producing duck eggs right now that can't sell them because they don't produce enough to keep customers coming back. You know, they produce three or four dozen a week. They use a dozen. But I could add those up. The only reason I won't do this right now is I'm selling nine-mile farm eggs grown my way. I'm doing my thing my way. But if I wanted to do that, I could I could come up with 30, 40 dozen eggs a week from, from 10 to 15 producers. Add it into something else. That's another way you could take a stab at this. There's so many people that want to be in business in this kind of natural foods world, and they want a farm to do it. Why don't you go find a bunch of people doing it create this aggregation service so they can focus on growing and you focus on the marketing, customer acquisition, customer service, and you might eventually earn enough money to buy your farm and decide, all I want to do is plant a whole bunch of trees on it, put some cows on it, and keep doing this because this is easy. Instead of being out there busting my ass all the time. Who knows? There's a lot of things you could do. You could be a fishing guide. Um, I don't know a good fishing guide that when you say... I need to book a trip, says I'm wide open, man. Right? If they say that, I call somebody else because they're not good. When you find somebody good, they got to work with you to get you in. Fishing guide is a good business. My buddy Hal Don was a great guide on a little lake, a little hardly known lake called Jogpool Lake for white bass. Simple fish to catch if you knew what you were doing. 7,400-acre lake. The guy knew every inch of that lake. He could always find fish. There were a few times a year where they were hard to find, and he just didn't book trips during those periods of time. And it was not a well-known lake, and that meant that anybody that wanted to fish that lake found one person, Hal Dodd. And he probably made as much money guiding as he did working full-time. And he did guided trips in the late afternoon, all through summer, uh, and weekends. And that was it. But you know what? I want to tell you something. What I have written in Fishing Guide on my notes today. Fishing Guide. Good ones are always busy. It ain't easy, bro. It's tough business. Harder than you think. 
but if you love to fish and you love to be on the water, you do the same thing with hunting guide. This is why I think fishing guide's a better model. Um, there are some fishing seasons, but there's pretty much something you can fish for all year round. Hunting's very seasonal. You know, in a lot of states, deer season might be two weeks, three weeks. So if you're guiding, that's, that's a tough business to make enough money on in three weeks to live the rest of your year on. But if that's what you like to do, do it. So usually a lot of times what you have are guys that do some hunting guiding. Their main business is their fishing guide. And they have enough fishing guide customers to tell about their hunting guide service that they're booked right through the season. But then do you get to hunt yourself? See, that's... That's where you may want to just take that time off and go hunting if that's what you love to do. But the guide business can be a lot of things. I think there's a lot of little towns that are very much a tourist-centric town where people come and walk trails and stuff like that. And I've said before, I think if you found 20 really interesting things on a trail walk that everybody else walks right by, you know, you got to go 50 yards off the trail this way and what have you, and you did guided hikes, I, I, you know, and you said, you know, I don't take any more than a dozen people on a guided hike. Uh, that way I can give professional, you know, very, very custom uh, service, very customer-friendly service to everybody, and I can talk and tell stories, and everybody can hear me. You, you could probably make some income from that, and then you could make that scalable because you could say, well, if you don't want the full service walk, uh, for a deposit, I'll hand you a pre-programmed GPS and a book. You can find all these things, and that might be fun for you to do with your kids. And, and then back, if you had good marketing, you could probably end up developing a website for yourself, and then you could use that website to book business for all the other small tourist-centric businesses in your area for a fee by stacking those functions. And then your entire business model would be predicated on talking to other entrepreneurs and really getting into the place that you live in and love, if you love to do that. That's, that's another way you could do this. Uh, what about a restaurant club? How about this? How about you like to eat fine dining? What if you created a restaurant club that worked this way? Uh, you have people fill out a form that basically says, these are the things I hate, and these are the things that will kill me. So that you can make sure that there's at least two options for your diners every week for your restaurant club meeting. But that's it. Basically, they don't come and pick things out. Uh, based on who they are, they get red or white wine, or they don't drink, they get water, or if they're, you know, if, if they have certain religious prohibitions, like they don't eat pork, you make sure that there's an option for that. But basically, you have set up ahead with the restaurant managers. My group's coming in, there'll be 25 people. This is X dollars a plate, this is what we're interested in. They put together a menu for you, and you say, great. I mean, I've, we've done this multiple times for ourselves for birthday parties and stuff like that to keep it simple. Restaurants always love this kind of business. By the way, 20% tip for your servers is built right in. I've got my fee. I'm going to sit at the head of the table and I'm going to eat too. And every week this restaurant club goes to a different really cool restaurant. Everything's pre-selected. Nobody has to think about everything. Tables are already reserved. Walk in, sit down, get served. And you have this group of people you're meeting and you pay a fee that's not going to be that much more than you would have paid if you went out and selected what you wanted anyway. But everything's pre predetermined. Because what's going to happen is these restaurants are going to start competing for your business. And you might run three or four clubs. And the other nights you're going to be going to different restaurants to pre, you know, sit down, we'll serve you and we'll show you how great we are. We want your clubs coming here once a month or twice a month. These are going to be affluent people. 
These aren't going to be working day stiffs and dead end jobs that don't have any money. You know, you don't want to sell to those people. You want to sell to people when you're doing something like this. You want to sell high end product to high end people. You know, but you also don't want like the artsy fartsy level, right? You want people that are comfortable with that big group. What a networking opportunity that is. Think about that. And maybe you, maybe you do your clubs at, I don't know, what can you make per head? Right? If you can make $25 a head in profit, then you need 10 people is $250 a dinner. Don't think you can't do it. Don't think people will, that you want people that they don't even want to look at the menu. They just want the food to show up in front of them. Is this easy? No, but it's simple. I've talked about that before. Easy means that, like falling on your ass is easy. Being incompetent is easy. You know, sticking a, 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 a Sharpie marker up your nose is easy. Those are easy. There's no difficulty in it. You know, moving 10 center blocks 100 feet is simple, but it's not easy. It requires work. But that kind of business is a simple business. The value proposition is very good. If you live in a city with a couple million people, you know, and you want to put three groups of 10 together, you need 30 people. If you want to put three groups of 20 together, you need 60 people. I would think that kind of business, I would want to keep my clubs to 12. You know, maybe you go 18 with an average 12 in attendance each week because some people don't make it. That type of thing. You run three clubs, three nights a week. 750 bucks a week to eat dinner? You think it's possible? And then what are all the peripheral businesses that can come off of that? What are the other opportunities that come off of that? What about that married to the organic food club type business? You know, and then taking the organic food business to telling the restaurants, what do you, what do you want locally that you can't find, that you don't think is available? I'll find it for you. There was a huge company doing that right here in Dallas called CSA Foods. They pick up eggs for our restaurant customer, one of them. You know, and he's using them so he doesn't have to come get the eggs. So they're getting our business passed through. He's paying a little bit of overage just so that it's taken care of. There's so many opportunities, guys. So many opportunities. What do you love? Here's what it comes down to. In the end, there is something that you can do with what you have that will make some money that you won't hate doing and that if nothing else, it will teach you about business and how to run a business and it will either become a success or lead to success if you get off the pot and go already. Okay? If you'll get in the game, if you'll stop reading about baseball and pick up a bat and stand behind the plate And take the pitch. That's what will happen. And if you don't want it, remember what your alternatives are. Your alternatives are poverty, the dead-end job, stressful career, the path of a high-end professional, or the happy-go-lucky worker if you can stay there without being pushed into the stressful career by your employer. And if nobody fires you along the way. If you don't lose a job, if a company doesn't go broke, if an economic downturn doesn't result in layoffs, if you don't really get fed up with your boss someday, can't take it anymore, and use the F word to his face and get fired. Who knows? Right? I mean, I can piss off this audience, but you're not going to fire me. A couple of you may leave, but oh well. 
I'm doing the I'm doing the best I can for those that like what I do. You can have the same thing. It's up to you. There's so many business models out there. Brian Black's ITS Tactical is the same but different. That's how he described it when he met me. He says, what I'm doing is like yours is the same but different. I only have a podcast and I sell them with physical products, but basically it's the same type of niche. We're talking to the same kind of people and we're in the same world, so to speak, using the same platform. Both of our businesses run on WordPress. Think about that. This is more like an online version of something much cooler than SWAT magazine with a really cool branded product set. And mine is a podcast that goes into everything self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. But they're both run on the on the WordPress platform, and they're able to do what they do as well as they do because WordPress works so great. Teach yourself that. There's a hundred. There's 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 plenty of business inside that world. But in the end, stop doing things you hate. In the words of Gary Vaynerchuk, because you can go just as broke doing things you love. The thing is, you can actually be pretty successful doing what you love. If you're sitting there thinking, I just don't know. I just don't know what to do. I just don't have the right idea yet. Then do my trick with Siri or whoever your phone smartphone is. Set a reminder every day. How can I monetize my wood carving? What business is right for me? And, and make an appointment with yourself to think about it for 15 minutes. When you end up taking a walk around your property or through the mall or through the park or uh, in, in, in that, that little bit of time that you get to kind of sit down and, and think before you go to bed or whatever, and it pops back into your head on its own without you summoning it and, and, and it starts to coalesce, grab onto it. Grab onto it. In, in the world of business, it's the best, most relevant, truest advice and most valuable advice I've ever given on the air is that one thing. Put the thought in your head and make yourself evaluate it. The solution is there. It's like a sculptor who looks at the block of marble and says, the statue of David was in there, I just revealed it. The answer is in front of you. Make yourself seek it, and it will present itself to you. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. When he quit his job They said them home computers Boy, they'll never take off Well, he sold his one-man shop to Microsoft And they paid like crazy Just ask him how he made it He'll tell you faith and sweat
called me crazy when they started out. They've been together 58 years now. Ain't that crazy?